My name is Sarah James, and I'm a very grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon Alateen. Hi, everybody. I want to thank the committee for inviting me. Um, Jerry has mentioned over the years several times that he would like for me to come up here and share. And um, one of the things that has helped me grow in my Al-Anon program is that when I would get a job, I mean, that was my job, and I made a commitment and I was dedicated to it. And every weekend, when y'all have this, this is the air weekend of the Area World Service Committee meeting uh, at our area office in Byron. And um, so now I've... I don't have an area office right now. It feels kind of weird because I've been doing that a long time, but I thought um, I'll just sit in the back. Brookie says he's enjoying not having a, an office right now. He just sits in the back and watches everybody else. And so he told me, he said, well, aren't you enjoying sitting in the back? I said, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. So when I GR quit and I grew you know, I kind of stepped in there. So um, it's important for me to keep involved in service work because uh, that's what did it. That's what did it for me. Um, I was going somewhere else with that, but I forgot what. It, y'all are going to hear during my talk that uh, it, it will seem like I'm leading up to something, a good point that I want to make to you, something I think is going to help you a lot, and I won't ever get there. <laughs> and you're going to wonder. And. When that started happening to me about 10 years ago, <laughs> first time it happened, I was paralyzed. I mean, I, oh, my God, you know, it's just like this is the end of the world because I don't know where I was going with that. So what I figured out was the best thing for me to do is just admit it and say, well, I have something wonderful to tell you all, but I forgot what the heck it is, so we're going on to something else. <laughs> And, you know, as I looked in that audience, I didn't see one person that went like, oh, my God, you know, what is her problem? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I believe AA and Al-Anon is the only place I've ever been in my life where the more you screw up, the more everybody loves you. <laughs> that true? That is true. I have had to, <laughs> when I was the area chairman, I had to apologize to the whole assembly. I screwed up a, a procedural thing. I never did want to be chairman. I mean, after I was delegate, I didn't want that job. And my sponsor called me a, a year in advance to talk about when I was going to stand for chairman after my term as delegate was over. And I said, well, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Ruth. She said, well, what do you want to say about it? I said, uh, I don't want that job. And she said, what do you mean you don't want that job? I said, well, don't you remember all that mess the man remembers the yeah, 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 chairman of somebody in the audience, or, you know, just all kind of stuff going on. And I think I just want to get up and walk out. I, I don't want to be involved in all that. And then, too, I'm a lot better now. <laughs> but I didn't like being talked to like some of those people would talk to the chairman, you know. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do from up here. So um, I said it's best I don't, you know, have that job. But anyway, after a 30 minute talk, uh, I decided that I'd stand for chair. <laughs> it's the only job I ever stood for that I wished I didn't get it. Uh, but I did. And I want to tell you all what happened to me with that was um, I decided that I was going to focus on what I could do differently than maybe that had been done so that we could keep things smooth and calm and loving in, that in every 
all nine meetings of our assembly, you know, for my three-year term. So I prayed about it. I made a commitment to God. I said, God, I don't care what anybody says out there in the audience. I don't care what's going on. Help me to stay calm and remember that my program is first and foremost principles above personalities. And just help me never to say anything unloving and unkind and unproductive from the podium, you know. And I want to tell y'all, that's what I did. I never lost it. And there were about three times after the meeting was over, somebody said, well, didn't you just want to knock her head clear off her shoulders? <laughs> I said, well, <clears throat> it's like this. Yeah, I used to want, want to get down off that podium and go have a talk with her and straighten her out. But, you know, I have learned, I know what... I know how to disagree agreeably. I know how not to take things so personally anymore. I've learned these things in Al-Anon because I took everything personal. I mean, everything to me was a mountain. There were no molehills. And um, it got me in a lot of trouble. Um, so Al-Anon has taught me to keep an open mind, be willing to receive, and to understand that sometimes other people have an idea about how to do something that might be better than my idea. That was very hard for me. You know, I know how to do this job, so let me tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, you are in big trouble. Uh, I believe in dedication and commitment when you've got a service job. I'm, I'm seeing some things that are concerning me now over the last few years in al -Anon. I'm seeing a serious lack of commitment and dedication and it concerns me and I, I have I still get obsessed with things I'm borderline OCD I always have been I mean I get to thinking about something you know and I get obsessed with it and I have to thank my husband for a few years ago when our group was not people weren't going to enough meetings that's the problem you know I go to four meetings a week if I go they should be able to go to at least three and certainly two and more than one, and don't skip a week, for goodness sakes, you know. And uh, our group was just kind of dwindling down, and people weren't showing up. And, man, I got obsessed. We'd been on vacation one week, and I, we got home, and I was so tired, so tired. I said, oh, I don't want to go to a meeting now. I'm too tired. And I thought, yeah, you really need a meeting, though. So, you know, oh, I put on my martyr face, and I went to the meeting. And guess what? Nobody showed up. Not one person. I sat there for 20 minutes, and I stewed, and I cussed, and I got in my car, and I resigned from Al-Anon on the way home. I said, what is the point in me doing, me, me, doing all this, and nobody else is coming to me, 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 me. So, um, you know, this went on for a little while, and one day my husband said to me, he said, you need to take a look at what you're doing. He said, I'm tired of hearing all this, really, if you want to know the truth. He said, you're obsessed with this, with the attendance fluctuating. So he said, you need to just turn it over. You need to let go and let God, which I knew all that. And uh, <laughs> I knew all that. And he said, you are not responsible for anybody's recovery but yours. You are responsible for being at meetings and carrying the best message you can. That's all you can do. And I thought, see, I knew that all the time. But 
I don't know about y'all, but sometimes it's hard for me to admit that my recovered alcoholic has wonderful ideas about such things, you know, and he can cut right through the stuff and just make a point and lay something out for me to take a look at. And usually I'm not real receptive. Well, not usually, sometimes. (laughs) But I have learned to listen and I am so grateful. That's part of my prayer all the time. God make me make me willing to keep an open mind. Help me to be willing to listen to others and to uh, think before I speak. I can do that a lot of the time, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I have no idea where this is going. This is not anything that's on this piece of paper. <laughs> I mean nothing. Okay. All right, what we're going to do is, what have I been talking, 10 minutes? Anybody 10 minutes? Okay. All right, we're going to try to do, usually this don't mean nothing. I just hang this up here. Sorry, that won't work. Uh, I just take it off and lay it there so y'all think I care about what time it is. Because I don't too much. Sometimes Brookings will say, wind it down. Anyway. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Oh, yes, I'm supposed to tell you that. Oh, my goodness. Our accommodations. Hello there. Whoa. We walk in and we got this living room. We got two bathrooms. It's a big bedroom. We got, you know, all the amenities there. And it was, uh, it was a nice surprise. We don't, we don't usually get that. Just a nice room. But this was, woo, first class. Thank you so much. I like it. Okay. Oh, I need to tell you that uh, I did tell you my name is Sarah Jane Beck. I told you that. Uh, and I am a member in good standing of the Midway Al-Anon Family Group in Milledgeville, Georgia. And I am not an Al-Anon because my husband's in AA. I'm an Al-Anon because I work the steps, traditions, and concepts. This program is my life. I've been blessed with two of the most incredible sponsors in the world. A lot of you probably knew my first sponsor, Ruth Chester from Macon. Uh, as AA say, you know, he's going on to the big meeting in the sky. Well, my Al-Anon sponsor has gone on to that big meeting in the sky, and there's hardly a day passed in my life that I don't think about Ruth and what she did for me and how she held my hand and she picked me up, and she was very gentle with me the first few years because I think she knew if she wasn't, I'd have walked out that door. I said, I don't need that stuff anyway, you know. Ain't nothing wrong with me. It's him. And now he's sober, so he's going to be perfect, and we're going to live happily ever after. Right. Well, y'all know it doesn't exactly work that way. But um, 20 years, 20 years she worked with me. And uh, now I couldn't get a sponsor right after she died. I was just, my heart was just ripped out of my body and I'm crying <laughs> I can't find another sponsor like Ruth and finally somebody said to me whoever it was I thank you because I don't remember who it was they said to me well for heaven's sake stop looking for somebody like Ruth said she was one of a kind and and she was but the first three or four years as I said she was very gentle with me and then after that she I didn't like her sometimes, you know. I didn't like what she said. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Or are you going to do that or not? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to do that. And very grudgingly, you know, I would do some of these things that she told me to do. But you know the funny thing about that? She never told me to do anything that didn't make me better and stronger in my program. 
and for that I will always be grateful. And now I've got a sponsor. Uh, Ruth was a past delegate, and my sponsor now is a past South Carolina delegate that I'd known for years. And she and Ruth were, they met in New York City in 1980 when Bessie was last year as being delegate in Ruth's first year, 1980, in New York City. And they met, and they stayed friends all those years. And so one day when I'm just carrying on about, I don't know who to get, there's nobody I can ask. And I got a, I got a picture of Bessie. I mean, his sweet little face up there, you know, and I thought, wow. I went to that phone, I called her, and she didn't even hardly let me finish the sentence. She said, I'd love to work with you, Sarah Jane. Thank you for asking me. So she and I have an incredible relationship, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, oh, and there's something I want to do. I don't know that I've ever done this before from the podium, but um, I want to thank my husband, Brookings, for getting me to Al-Anon because I went to help keep him sober after he got out of treatment. I went for the wrong reason, but I'm telling you, I stayed for the right reason, and it's all because of you, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you. Everybody knows you, but stand up anyway. Stand up. Raise your hand. Number one, number four. Oh, yeah, we have had, I've loved this man since I was 12 years old and hated and loved and hated, thought about killing and loved and, you know, our story that we can have, the kind of relationship that he and I have today is not even possible, and yet we got it. Do we fuss sometimes, we disagree, but we've learned how most of the time to disagree agreeably. I didn't know that was such a thing. Um, uh, every once in a while we holler a little bit, but, you know, it doesn't last. And everyone, Usually one of us will say when it starts getting kind of, you know, kind of heavy in there. Uh, one of us will say, uh, can we start this over? And then we look at each other and laugh, and we start over, and it's okay. And that's a miracle, because Brookings and I both are very, we're very passionate people. We're very opinionated, too. And, you know, sometimes it's like that. But we have a wonderful life together, and uh, I am so glad I didn't kill him. When he gets a little smart etiquette with me every once in a while, his little tone of voice is not quite as sweet as I think it should be. I'll say to him, Brookings, I think your alcoholic personality has revived itself. <laughs> and you better remember, you living on bar time. Because <laughs> I can still take your fanny out in that lake and drown you. you know. <laughs> that was the second plan that he didn't get into. Okay. Um. Oh, and I could add to that that I want you to know I have not found it necessary to plan a homicide since January of 1984. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I love doing this. Lord, I love this. Mm. I would be so great. I would truly be so grateful if Ella, every Al-Anon that I know would feel as comfortable as I do up at this podium. Uh, and they don't. And there are thousands of untold 
fantastic Al-Anon stories. People say, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I can't get up at that podium. So just remember one thing. It's your story, and you can't mess it up. And even if you mess it up, nobody cares. They'll just say, I love you, and thank you for getting up there and sharing, you know. That's, that's what's so incredible about both of these programs, you know. You just can't, you can't really screw up at the podium. Um, okay, let me see here. I'm trying to do something differently so I won't get bogged down, you know. And she said, uh, uh, she didn't really know what to say. I said, I know that with things going on when I was growing up, you know, that wasn't the ideal situation. I said, but I want to tell you something. You're the reason that no matter how many times I have been knocked down, I have been able to pick myself up and go again. I did not know that God was there helping pick me up because I took all the credit at that time because I didn't have a relationship with God. But I said, you're the reason that I can do these things, and you're the reason that I'm respectful of older people now, or one. Um, you know, and I, I was able to thank my mother for these things. And she just sat there, and, and she just looked at me, and I said, so I love you so much, and I'm so glad you're my mother. And she said, well, I don't know what to say. I said, you don't have to say anything. And so then we proceeded to eat our hamburgers and french fries and go on and have a nice lunch. I wouldn't take anything for that moment. It was very, very special in my life. Brookings and I dated all through high school, and it was, it was exciting. Um, we were just wild and crazy, and we loved each other entirely too much, uh, and we were too young, and we didn't know what to do with it. So anyway, we got married. He was three years ahead of me in in school, not because he was smarter. (laughs) He only had to go to 11 grades because he moved from the school to Sandersville where we were going into 12 grades. And and he he didn't have to do that 12th grade. So he graduated three years ahead of me. And uh, he went off to college, had an awesome scholarship uh, to a major college. And he just went up there and blew it. of course, I knew that it was somehow the teachers up there must not have been that good because um, I knew he studied a lot, and he certainly wasn't out running around chasing girls and drinking liquor. I mean, I knew that. Uh, he would not do anything to mess up his scholarship. Well, he lost that scholarship after the first year. And um, anyway, we, uh, as he told you, we uh, got married in the first time in God, 1954. And that's a long time ago. And we did elope on the Greyhound bus and all that stuff. And that was six and a half years of, I don't really know how to describe that sometimes. There was a lot of love. We loved each other so much. But, man, we fought like cats and dogs. We truly did. When I told him, don't drink for two beers tonight. I'm not. I'm just going to have two. I said, because sometimes when you drink more than that, you know, you act out. He said, I'm only going to drink two. So I see him go for that third one. I'm going, no, 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 no. And then if he certainly went for that fourth one, then, you know, I would either knock it out of his hand or start a argument. Or if we were home, I mean, I'd hit him. You know, now, now that's not real smart. He outweighed me 125 pounds and was a foot taller. Didn't matter. Didn't matter one single bit. I told him not to do that, and he did it anyway. So, man, you know, I just haul off and knock the fire to him, knowing you didn't hit him unless you knew you're going to get hit back. 
And I remember one time we were living in Athens, oh, going to the University of Georgia. That was our downfall. Um, <laughs> truly, now I'm a Bulldog fan. You know, who let the dogs out? <laughs> but uh, that night, I just not, I hit him as hard as I could, and I knocked that drink went flying everywhere. And he just leaned down and picked me up by the waist. He used to could reach his hands from my waist. That's not possible anymore. Anyway, he picked me up and went, shoosh. He threw me up against the wall. He threw me across the room up against the wall, and I hit that wall, and guess what I did? I came off swinging. I did a lot of stupid things before I got in this program. I, if I thought it needed addressing, I was going to address it right then and there. It didn't matter what you thought about it. I didn't care. I was going to get my point across. So we fussed and we fought, and then there was these other people there at the university. Now, it really wasn't his fault because these women were just after him. And I knew <laughs> that if they would just leave him alone, he would not be tempted to do any of those things that I sort of suspected he might be doing. So I just decided we need to move away from these people, you know. So I rented that little house 10 miles out in the country. So it's just me and him out there. And um, that's where our marriage really ended out there. I don't know how long. We can't remember the time frame. It's just we can't remember. Probably don't need to. And, you know, it culminated that night with the shotgun because uh, we'd been fussing and fighting. But, man, when he smashed my violence, my African violence, that did it, you know. And he just ground them in the floor, and I thought, oh, no, I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. So he goes out, and I lock the door behind him, and he turns around. But when he turned around and busted the glass and came back in, I was standing there with that shotgun. I'm a gun person. I'm telling you, I've been shooting since I was six, seven years old. My daddy used to get drunk, and we'd go out in the woods shooting cans and trees and everything. Pow, pow, pow. It's wonderful. And... um. We remember it differently. But see, used to, I'd say, you're lying. You know, it wasn't like that. He remembers it. He has his perception, and I have my perception. Now, he says that he remembers me standing across, and we had a big living room, big old. It was a nice little house. It wasn't all that little out in the country. We're out in the country. No neighbors. Uh, Call Mama. Hey, Mama, I'm coming home. And, you know, she's crying. We'll come get you. No, 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 no. So I got on a bus because it took hours to get from Jacksonville to Sandersville. And I got there, and they met me at the bus station. And, you know, I stayed with them for a while. And like Brooklyn said, he saw me one time, and he knew there wasn't no getting back. Um, I felt like I had died. There was a part of me that had died. And I just laid in the bed. I didn't get up for nothing, and Mom and Daddy were waiting on me hand and foot, and I just, you know, laying there zonked out. And they called one of our doctors, and he came to the house, and I heard a conversation that made me nervous. This conversation was about taking me to Augusta, and there was this psychiatrist over there, Thigpen. I'm sure some of you might remember that name, Dr. Thigpen. And they were going to take me over there, and I could vision, uh, envision them locking me up somewhere, you know, because they thought I had, you know, zonked out. So I remember making, I guess I, what I think I remember is that I said to myself, I'm going to get up out of this bed in the morning, and I will never get myself in a situation like that again. I will never love anybody the way that I loved him. That's not saying I won't have me a boyfriend. 
But I ain't never going to love anybody. Nobody's ever going to have that much power over me again. So I woke up the next morning. I said, Mama, would you scramble me some eggs? Oh, baby, you did yeah. I said, and we ain't going to Augusta. No, honey, we're not going to Augusta. So from then on, what I did, I, I set out to get married a lot. And I did. <laughs> and my second husband was the son of a millionaire. And we had everything. I had everything I'd ever wanted. Yes, he was an alcoholic. He was sweet. He never got mad. He never called me dirty names. Uh, he bought me extremely extravagant gifts. Bought me my first house. I had a new car. You know, all the things that I thought I had to have to be happy. This man loved me. I had met him when I was 11, the year before I met him. I started young. <laughs> and he was just a sweet, good Catholic boy. I mean, he was good, but he loved his booze. But it didn't bother me because he never acted ugly. So, you know, I was doing things right along with him. So um, three and a half years I was married to Jimmy, and um, I got a chance to make amends to him a long time ago. And I was very grateful that I did that because I started some really, really bad behavior there. And Jimmy and I had this thing we used to do. We would uh, we would ride around Albany, and he'd have his bourbon, and I'd have me a few beers in the car. Why I'm not an alcoholic, I don't know. I just never crossed the line because I'm about 90% predisposed to be with two parents, but I just didn't cross the line. But we'd ride around and drink and just have more fun and we'd just laugh. I don't know why we thought that was fun, but we did. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And we were riding along one night and uh, the cops pulled us over. And the cop came and stuck his head in the window and he, he knew Jimmy. Everybody knew Jimmy. Everybody liked Jimmy. He's, uh, he's dead now. Died at 48 of alcoholism. He said, Mr. Reddy, he said, um, how you do, how you doing, sir? You about, are you about ready to go home, sir? And Jimmy said, well, what, what's the problem? He said, well, you're kind of weaving over that center line. It might be good if you went home. My, my Jimmy at that time was the kind that said, you're probably right. You know, we'll go home. Well, I took exception to that. Nobody talked to my husband like that. And I leaned across Jimmy, and Jimmy's whispering in my ear, don't say anything, please. <laughs> We're going home. Just don't. And I hollered at that cop, and I said, do you know who you're talking to? And he looked at me, you know, and I said, his daddy could buy you and sell you a hundred times. We might even get you fired from this job. You know, you cannot talk to us like that. And Jimmy's going, oh, God, oh, God. And that cop stuck his head in the window. He said, lady, he said, I'm going to tell you this. He said, you better shut up right now. Well, well, you do not tell me to shut up. Nobody tells me to shut up. So I said, you can't talk to me like that. And I opened the car door, and I jumped out of the car, and the cop met me at the front of the car. And he walked right up in my face, big dude, looking down, you know, looking down, he said, I'm going to tell you one more time, get back in the car and shut your mouth. I said, well, you cannot talk to me like that. I hauled off and kicked the hell out of him. <laughs> I kicked him real hard, as hard as I possibly could, you know, and I was young and strong then, so I probably kicked him good. And next thing I know, he, he snatched me by the shoulders and whirled me around. Duh, I'm handcuffed. 
He put me in the police car, called another police car, and they came out and then took Jimmy in, took me in, threw us into jail. And I'm screaming and hollering, you can't do this to me. You can't do this to me. And he put me in the cell with uh, two ladies that kept telling me, shut your mouth. And they said, we have been working tonight and we are tired. We need some sleep. Shut your mouth. And I looked down at them with great disdain. Do not talk to me. I mean, you know, I'm acting worse than these women are. And I'm telling them, you know, don't talk to me. So because Jimmy had friends and two of them, seven of them, I mean, as crazy as I was, that didn't make much sense. So needless to say, he and I had six and a half years of turbulence because I couldn't get three divorces. I mean, that would make me look bad. But if I could get him to hit me and get the police in on it, then it would not be my fault. And so everybody would say, poor Sarah Jane, he just took advantage of her. You know, I did everything I could to get that man to hit me. And he never would. He never would. So I, I left him, and uh, that was a really bad situation. He told me, You'll never, I'll never divorce you. Well, I did, but it took a, quite a while. He did drag it out. So in all that interimness, when he came back in my life, never, ever expected to get back with him. Never wanted to get back with him. But he was never out of my mind. I could hear a song. Y'all know the song, Fascination? It was Fascination. We used to waltz all over the dance floor to Fascination. I could be somewhere with somebody else, husband or boyfriend or somebody. I'd be out there and I'd hear that song and my heart would just ache. And then I'd get mad at myself for being so stupid. And then I'd just say, well, you know, I don't care what he's doing. I don't care who he's with. I don't care. And then every time I'd hear, you know, that he had another baby and another baby, and it would just kill me, just absolutely kill me. But no, I never told anybody how bad I hurt. People would say, wouldn't it be something if you and Brookings might get back together one day? And I'm not going to tell you all what I said because I really try not to use that kind of language from the podium. <laughs> But I said, never. It's never going to happen, you know. Why would I ever want to get back with him? Well, we started dating, and, you know. But I watched him drink for three and a half years to be sure he had learned how. I did not understand alcoholism. I truly didn't. I thought that anybody ought to be able to have two, three maximum, you know, drinks, and that's enough. And so the three and a half years that we dated, he never had more than two drinks when he was with me. And I assumed that the other 70% of the time when he was flying all over the United States that he wasn't drinking but two drinks at a time because I had asked him not to. Now, I'm not a stupid woman, but I tell you, that is really pushing it, you know. He was drinking just like he had to drink, except when he was with me. And so after three and a half years, we got married. And we did get married by a preacher. We got married in a church, and the family was there. And we were going to walk off into the sunset and live happily ever after. And we bought a house. And in about a year, I'm sure you all know what happened, the usual thing, the, his alcoholism progressed. And it started getting kind of loud around the house. But I, he, we never did. We didn't get in any fights anymore. I didn't hit him, and he didn't hit me. But we screamed and hollered and threw things. And then we moved to uh, Milledgeville, and I thought that was going to be our salvation. So nice and quiet living on the lake, where I dreamed about since I was a young girl, but never, never ever dreamed I'd live there. And what, 45 years later, I'm living there. 
It was a miracle, and I was so happy for a while. And then, you know, the drinking. We fussing, no fighting, but screaming and hollering. And, and that night, that was the night, he said, you're, you're my problem. I can't come home and have a couple of drinks without you raising hell. He never had a couple of drinks in his life except when he was with me those three and a half years. And um, he called the police. And I'm standing there thinking, the alcohol has dissolved his brain. He's calling the police to get me off his property? Duh. Well, that's what he did. And they came and they escorted me off of his property. And I <clears throat> left that house about to have a heart attack. And God was really good to me that night. He, he helped me relax and understand that maybe this is what I needed to do. That I don't need to be in this situation anymore because I was going to drown him in that lake. And somebody asked me later, well, if he hadn't gone in treatment, would you have done it? I don't know. As crazy as I was, I don't know. So he went to treatment by a series of miracles. And I know God put all these stepping stones. All the stumbling blocks were removed. And God put these stepping stones there. And he went to treatment in Alabama. And he was there 30 days. And I'll never forget, I didn't see him for 13, 14 days, something like that. And when I saw him, he had lost 17 pounds real quick. Brooke is the only one that ever went through this treatment center that he made them put him on a diet. They said, no, no, you don't worry about your weight now. You know, you, you concentrate on staying sober and learning all these things. And he could talk anybody into anything. He sure sold me a bill of goods for a long time. <laughs> And they put him, and I, I looked at him when he walked across that room, you know, and he'd lost that weight, and his face wasn't red and pudgy looking, and oh my God, my heart just almost exploded, and he almost ran across that room, and he grabbed me up and whirled me around, and we went outside and sat and talked, and I knew from that minute on that our life was going to be perfect. Well, <laughs> I will tell you this: had I not got in Al-Anon. We would not be married today. <coughs> I can also tell you that had we not had we not gotten some counseling and some extra, I'm only 50 minutes. That's better than my usual two hours. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I did want to get in. Uh, I love this program. I love being involved with people. I love. God, I love alcoholics. You know, you line a hundred men up against that wall, and used to, I'd get. The, alcoholic every time you know you're just exciting that's where the and i like the excitement you know where my favorite places used to be where i'd go to the old bars with the sawdust on the floor playing that good old country western music you know and everybody around there drinking draft beer or whatever they were drinking you know that is where i wanted to go and um why i never crossed the line i really don't know i'm grateful i didn't because i don't know that i would have lived if i had a I can imagine the two of us. Oh, no. No, I can't even imagine. Oh, I can't imagine. We have an extraordinarily wonderful life today, and it's based on our love of God and our love of our, our programs, Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. Um, we see so many things so differently. And most of the time, my life's pretty calm. I tell you all, I never did understand that I was addicted to adrenaline. I'm an, I was an adrenaline junkie, you know. That's one reason my second marriage didn't work out. Jimmy never fussed about anything. I didn't know how to live 
in a relationship where everything was calm all the time. You know, I'd even try to stir up stuff every once in a while. And he'd just say, oh, honey, let's don't go there. You know, And I never could understand that. So it took me getting an Al-Anon to understand that I was accustomed and comfortable living in chaos. And when there wasn't any, I didn't know what to do. So I guess that's how I got involved with, you know, other people which was not one of my best moves, and it's something I am certainly not proud of, and I hadn't done it again in years and years and years. That type of life does not appeal to me anymore. Um, I want to be a good wife. Um, well, I am a good wife. I just don't cook much anymore. <laughs> and I'm so grateful he doesn't complain about that. I used to love to cook. I don't like to cook anymore. And I really don't like to clean too much. i got to find somebody else to help me clean my house. <laughs> I like to do that. I'd rather go to an Al-Anon meeting, you know, and be dusting all that stuff and mopping that floor. But I think about today where we came from and what we've been through and what we've done to each other. I don't know how we could come to where we are today. There is no, there's no logical explanation except I call it amazing grace. Because that's what God has showered us with, amazing grace. We have come through things that I just, I don't know. I do know. God brought us through them. And these, I tell you, this last year and a half has been one of the hardest years we've had in recovery. We've just, Brookings and I have had, well, you know, we're getting a little older. The things that didn't used to bother us kind of bother us now, you know. We keep falling down. Brookings falls off the stage. I... <laughs> I fell out the steps at um, a Jackson Mill conference in West Virginia, fell out the door of the place we were staying, broke three ribs. <clears throat> Brookings has four knee replacements. Somebody said, he got four knees? <laughs> no, I said, but this last one, he wore it out. It was 19 years old, and it had to be replaced. The others, he did fall down the steps at the Statue of Liberty and tore up one, you know. And then something else happened to another one. So he has had four knee replacements. And as many of you all know, he fell at the last year's the AA prepaid in Athens, fell in the bathroom and broke his arm, broke both bones, clear in two, and he was right there in that room by himself. That's a, that's a story unto itself. But, um, you know, and the grandson that I love so much, this possibility, he's in prison for six years, and he may be there, have eight years added to that. And um, I was sharing earlier today in a meeting that um, I'm having to pray. I'm getting good at detachment. You know, in Al-Anon, we detach with love, or we try to. Well, I'm having to detach with distance for self-preservation. I cannot get too involved in these situations with some of our children and our grandchildren because I will not allow them to destroy our lives like they almost did. You know, walking the floor at night, paying for things we didn't need to be paying for, taking care of this, taking care of that. We don't do that anymore. We pray for them, and we lift them up, and we give them to God because we've done everything that we can do, and it's time for us to back off and let them do whatever it is that they have to do. And right now, some of it's not looking very good at all. But we're okay. We're good. We're good to go, aren't we? We're planning to go to the Al-Anon International in Vancouver in 2013. 
and they will be in Atlanta at the AA International in 2015, and then we will be in Detroit, Michigan in 2020 for the AA International. Isn't that right? Yeah. So we'll both be in our, not on a wheelchair, I want them little scooters, you know. <laughs> Mine's going to have a bulldog on it, you know. <laughs> Y'all see me 80-some-odd years old scooting, scooting around on my scooter, you know, but I'll be at that. God willing, I'll be there at that International and so will Brookings. Um, I, I've just had the most incredible weekend. This has been wonderful. Y'all have just loved me to pieces, and, and I really like that. So thank you for being so wonderful to us this weekend and for sharing with us. And my special thanks to Luann. Came, picked me up this morning, took me to an Al-Anon meeting, then took me to lunch, and we had a wonderful time. And thank you again, Jerry, and the committee. This, is, uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you. God bless you, and I love you.